It's Cecilia and Megan. Let us distract you while driving, cleaning, working out, or not working out. Actually, what in the dang heck? Just grab a drink and chill. It'll be like eavesdropping and a girl's night, all wrapped up into one. Welcome back. Happy Monday. Here we are with the third person today. (laughs) Do you want to introduce yourself? Yes, um, I'm Father Peyton Plessula. I'm a priest of the Archdiocese of Mobile in Alabama. And I'm right now in the parochial vicar at St. Michael's in Auburn. In other words, he's a good friend of Avery and I is also our spiritual director and <laughs> baptized half of more than half of our children at this point. So <laughs> oh, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. yeah. yeah very so, blessed. So are we. Um, we're gonna start with our heck yes and heck no's, like we always do. Um, Father Peyton, do you want to start? He was like, wait, <laughs> first of all, he was like, wait, what are those? And I was like, like I was a like, high level, a yes? <laughs> like a, like the best moment, worst yeah. moment. He was like, that's creative. And because yeah. of your humor, I couldn't tell if you were actually like, that's creative, Meg, good job. Or if you were like, hmm, okay. <laughs> yeah, my uh, my slight propensity to sarcasm has got me in trouble yes. over text message before. Mm-hmm. I'm typically very honest and not sarcastic, but every once in a while, you know. Yeah. Well, and it reminds me of my brother-in-law. So I just take it as it is. And I... No, I was being complimentary. I was like, oh, oh thank really you. Creative, like little <laughs> shtick, you know, like kind of high <laughs> within the realm. So there you go. Oh, thank you. Before we jump into heck yes and heck no's, I just want to state the obvious. We're going to talk entirely on motherhood in this podcast. Um, Some feminine genius stuff, some wifehood stuff, but the premise is for more or less on motherhood. So... And and I will say we are actually <laughs> blow our cover. We're recording this after the fact. Um, so I just let you know, like Father Peyton literally dropped some truth bombs that were so awesome. He has such a great and unique outlook to motherhood. So that being said, what we need from you guys next in two weeks from now, we have our ask a husband podcast. So we need you to call in your questions that you always wanted to ask a husband. So maybe it's like you have a husband and you don't know how to ask him these questions and you want other husbands take, or maybe you're single and you want to take about, I don't know anything, or you have a boyfriend and you're like, why is my boyfriend doing this? I need other guys um, opinions on it. Like ask a guy, call in, 312-775-2615. Again, this will, your voicemails will be airing in two weeks, Um, but call in. You can also text in and that's totally fine. Uh, But that being said, off to the podcast. Go ahead. Share your heck yes. Make him go first. Okay. I am. Okay. So my heck yes has been a heck yes for quite a while, but it's just, it's, it's particularly exciting tonight because we have our OCIA going on right now. What is, what is that? OCIA is the Order of Christian Initiation of Adults. It's oh. it's it's the right. It's it's the it's the process that was formerly known as RCIA. Got it. The, the USCCB made the challenging decision recently to change it to OCIA. Um, okay, the challenging challenging. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know why. I mean, I'm sure there was a good reason. I don't mean to sure. imply anything, but yeah. So it's called OCIA now. We so. We're in Auburn. This is a town of like 70,000 people, relatively small village on the plains, as they call it. Um, but we have almost 90 people coming into the church this year. 
holy cow yeah okay but in all honesty that doesn't like that's a lot of people but that doesn't shock me because of where we're at and like because of the church that saint michael's is because I like every three years I've gotten to taste test a different church for my entire life. <laughs> and, <laughs> That's um, mm-hmm. and I, there's been, I've told Avery and he's felt the same way. Like there's nothing that compares to what we found at St. Michael's thus far. Oh, and it's, God. yeah. And so I'm not totally shocked that there's 90 people. That's a lot compared to any other church. <laughs> but when you look at yeah. what St. Michael's is and what they offer the parishioners and I don't know, like the community involved in it, I don't know. That's awesome. Father, what's the ratio of college kids to just like adults that live in Auburn? So of our almost 90, I think it was 84 two weeks ago. But the problem is even in the past two weeks, we've had like probably five to 10 people come forward and say, hey, I want to join. Like, so it's just, yeah, we're up to, I mean, we're almost at 90. It's hard to keep track of the number because of that. But um, I would say of those, let's round to 90. Of those 90, I'd say probably 30 of them are college students. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's so even cooler. And it, and the <laughs> funny thing too is that that number does not include the non-Catholic Christians that we will bring in throughout the year who come oh, and wow. they're 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 ready, you know. And so we're, we're we we try not to force already baptized Christians to go through a whole process if they don't have to. So it's right, um, right. So what? So for last year, for context, we we brought in sixty three. This year, <laughs> we're almost up at ninety in it. And it's just been crazy. And also of the, of that 90, I think about 35 of them are actual baptisms, like from pagan wow. to believer level stuff. So wow. that's exciting. That's exciting. We're not just, you know, pew that's hard to stuff. find in the South too. Cause like yeah. everyone's yeah. baptized somehow. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you this too, actually, what's interesting is a lot of those non-baptized persons grew up going to church. They just never got baptized. So that's you, interesting too. Do you think that has to do with the fact that really no one other than Catholics baptize babies? You know what I mean? Well, I mean that that would be a hard, a huge practical element okay. of it. I, I think I think it has a lot to do with also the fact that Catholics are one of the only Christians that understand baptism to be a sacrament and not an ordinance. Right. So I mean right. that's a huge difference. And so we believe sac- baptism actually affects something. So it's we're more. I don't want to say anxious in a bad way, but we're more like <laughs> urgent to get, to get people yeah. baptized. Yeah. So you could grow up. I mean, you could grow up at the Baptist church down the street and like being a Christian in your lifestyle and belief and, and not get baptized until much later. And if you end up stop going to church before that, mm. it's very likely that you could be Christian for all intents and purposes, but not actually belong to the body of Christ through baptism. So got it. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of baptisms. Are these all happening awesome. in Easter Vigil? All at Easter Vigil. So. <laughs> It's gonna be a long mess. <laughs> it will be. It'll be. It'll be kind of crazy. So we're very excited. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. No, that's awesome. Cece, heck yeah. yes. Yeah, my heck yes is my husband's boss's wife is throwing a baby shower for me this weekend. So uh-huh. congrats. That's sweet. Yeah, it's really. Sweet. Are enough of your girlfriends in town? Does that make sense? Well, it's just like for the squadron. So like all the oh husband. Sweet. All the wives that are married to men in my husband's job, job. in my husband's yeah, which team. is such a weird thing to even <laughs> say because, like, what yeah. other nine to fiver would have the <laughs> husband's like... boss throw them a baby shower? Anyway, yeah, it's just like when you live on a military base, it's kind yeah. of the situation. But yeah, so there's like two bosses, I guess, like the CEO and the VP, and their wives are throwing it, and then like every one of my husband's 
level whoever has wives are invited it's it's meditating but yeah it's really sweet of them totally unexpected like it's just very sweet so yeah well and given your situation it's like oh how nice I get to have a baby shower with some people yeah it was really (laughs) nice so yeah so my head guess how about you um my head guess is that um I just I feel like I'm married into a family that genuinely feels like family and I feel like I don't know if it's just the noise from everyone else but that people struggle getting along with the family they married into and or they struggle with their mother-in-law us women specifically and so I just feel really blessed we just spent a whole month with them and like I would move next door to them in a heartbeat right now if I could they're just incredible so that's my heck yes um now for heck knows father Peyton we'll just go in the same order again um I've I've really been rattling my whole all day about this hey that's I, not a bad problem to have yeah I don't know I mean probably the the hardest thing right now is we're in the middle of the spring semester which is wildly busy mm. and I realized I probably don't have like a full day off and I say full because my day off is Friday. And so if we have a retreat on the weekend, I okay. kind of lose the end of my day off, you know, so that's kind of, but I, and if I have a wedding, another yep. thing, but I probably don't have a full day off until like July, mm. which is that's crazy. Very far yeah. away. Yeah. Very far away. I was thinking, so, oh shoot. <laughs> they just turned the lights off. <laughs> Let me go turn the lights back on. Y'all keep going with the heck knows. No, you're I'll be fine. right back. I'll okay. be right back. okay i'll do my heck no real fast so in our housing in japan we can't control like the ac or the heat um so it's based on like how many days have been warm up until a certain point and then the base decides if they're going to turn on the ac or not and so it's beginning hotter here but the temperature is on heat right now and so it's just like you can't not have it blast heat because the base will like controls the temp a five degree temperature span so if you don't want your house in the five degree temperature span you're out of luck because it's like our weather right now is so up and down and going into spring where it could be like 60 one day, 40 the other day. So the days it's 60, it's still blasting heat in the house. And we don't have screens on our doors and there's really big mosquitoes in Japan. And so you don't want to just like open up your doors. So it's just like deathly hot at night. But then like in the middle of winter, it's so freezing because it only lets you bring it up to 68 or, you know, it's just like crazy because they control like, it's communist, it. you know. So, yeah. yeah so, <laughs> you know, this is how it works. Uh, so, anyways, that's heck no. It's like you just can't control your your temperature. And that's then what on your top husband's it, fighting for right now is for our yes. ability to mm-hmm. control the temperature of our houses. You're welcome. You're welcome. And and uh, some rooms are in Celsius and some rooms are in Fahrenheit. So you also are like trying to convert to figure out what the heck's going on. So you have to do math all day, always. Every day. <laughs> so you actually have to do <laughs> oh dang yeah um that's Doesn't horrible that's horrible yeah it's uh, the little things you know it's just the little well, that's a big thing sleeping being hot when you're sleeping is honestly one of the worst things ever yeah and I'm not a girl that likes I don't like fan like I don't like I don't like anything blowing on my face so like putting the overhead fan on I Doesn't like wake it. up 
no, I like wake up with a cold. And then like, even if Patrick's breathing on me at night, I'm like, can you turn over? Because like, I can't take any sort of thing blowing on my face. Like when people, I've had people growing up, like come to a sleepover and bring their fan, like bring their box fan because grew up used to I'm like how can you have anything blowing on your face this is why your skin is so dry is because (laughs) you have a fan blowing on your face eight hours a day (laughs) you thought this anyways anyways Uh father father go ahead I also would like to say father that every priest we have had on has said that they've had a hard time coming up with a heck no so way to be original (laughs) oh sorry (laughs) no but yeah my heck no is just like there's not much rest this semester which is fine I'm pretty good at um, finding rest in other ways but I do know that that'll be that'll be tough coming up and um, yeah that's a long ways away too it is and, and again it's not like I won't have a day off for those months but I won't it, it'll be hard to kind of fight for some of those days off and right. stuff like that. Just have a lot of retreats, a lot of retreats coming up. Cause I do, you know, I do the youth ministry and the yeah. campus ministry and just the parish and it's me and yeah. my pastor and we all split all that, but I'm the young guy. So I'm typically the one going on those retreats every weekend. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Anyway, Aww. so it's, I mean, it's a relatively good heck no, but that's kind of, it's yeah. still, yeah, that's still hard. Even if you enjoy what you do, it's still hard to not have a break. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, um, my heck no originally, well, <laughs> my heck no feels like it just got new. All three, I think of the kids just started crying at different times and Avery is walking in and out of this room <laughs> to like <laughs> mitigate the screaming. Um, but the other heck no was that we came home to, this is so sad, $600 worth of grass fed meat just ruined because our deep freezer short-circuited while we were away. So we lost so many steaks, <laughs> so much ground beef. And I felt like such a chump having to buy ground beef that next day at Kroger's. I was like, we were supposed to be set for the year. And of course we didn't think like mm-hmm. to tell our house sitter, hey, make sure you check on our deep freezer every day. Like that's not a thing you think of. So that's a heck no, if I ever heard mm. one. And we probably will not be getting any more because I don't know if we would finish it before we leave, which is another heck no. Can you mm. split a cow? Some people We got split. a quarter. We got a quarter. And it's a lot of meat. Yeah, so. I guess it's not like you have seven kids, so. Not yet, no. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe you could split a quarter and split that quarter with someone else. Father, are you interested in any meat? <laughs> Hey, you know. <laughs> Normally, I bring so... them baked goods. Now I'm just gonna start bringing steaks <laughs> and ground beef. Oh man, Father, do people bring you venison? Do they hunt on your pro- on the church's property and then bring the? Parish? We the only time we have deer on our church's property is was during COVID when there were no cars and there was wildlife all over the mm-hmm. place. We are, I will say, we're like not even 10 minutes from rural Alabama though. Auburn's kind of a cool city that way. It's like, there's like the, the city, which is pretty well developed because of the university and all the tourism. But then, I mean, you're talking 10 minutes outside of town, you can be on farmland. And so, yeah, tons of people hunt. We've been brought all kinds of fun, crazy stuff. So that's been good. Yeah. People bring, (laughs) people bring priest food all the time. I was, Father Farmer and I were joking about that the other day. Father Farmer is my pastor who I live with, but we were joking, you know, we'll have a, we'll have like a family bake some bread, you know, during Christmas. And 
they'll bring three loaves to the parish office. They'll bring a loaf for the, all the office staff, a loaf for Father Farmer, and a loaf for me. And I'm just like, numbers-wise, how much this bread is like <laughs> feeding is just totally out of whack. But people are very generous to their priests. And uh, Megan already mentioned the baked goods and stuff, and I'm a total sucker for sweets. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> We'll have to have Avery bring some squirrel because he has not caught a deer this year. Caught? You don't catch a deer. No, you shoot it. Shoot a yeah, deer. Shoot it. <laughs> he hasn't caught a deer. <laughs> That's yeah. why he hasn't. He's doing it wrong. <laughs> He's, doing it. He's placing traps and not snares in the, in the, trap, in the yeah. forest. To... <laughs> oh, yeah. no. Before we jump into the whole topic on motherhood, woohoo, Cece's going to share a really sweet deal that Corda is sharing with us. Yeah, so Corda, their Catholic company run by a husband and wife team. And you've heard us talk about Corda before, but everything is inspired by the saints and they have, you know, inspired by prayer. They have a lot of different kind of candles. One's like called like Compline, inspired by night prayer. And it's like vanilla and lavender and dark amber and things like that. Um, but then they also have, you know, mystic bliss inspired by St. Teresa of Avila. And it has like mint, eucalyptus, sage. It's just like very, very creative. Um, but Corda has, if you just look online, number one, they have like the best reviews for all of their candles because everything's blended in-house. Everything again is like a custom coconut wax blend. So you're not just like burning up chemicals in your homes yeah. um <laughs> you know all the things but corda check them out they are actually this is a really cool offer they're offering a free tea light sampler kit with orders over 35 dollars. and megan was like wait what's a tea light sampler kit and i was showing her online you can see if you just like type in tea light sampler on corda candles.com it's a set of six tea light candles each tea light candle burns for three hours and it's six different scents so you can sample six of their best scents in the tea light and like light each one for up to three hours so you get kind of yeah. like a range of all their scents because with candles sometimes it's hard to buy online because you're like I don't I don't actually know what that smells like you know versus right. sniffing around in a Max. store sniffing around you know yeah, exactly. <laughs> we've all done it We've all done it. <laughs> but Corda, like incredible Catholic company. Megan and I have been using their candles for years. I've been literally mm -hmm. been, people have gifted me their candles since circa like 2018. So <laughs> I like love Corda. Check them out. Again, you can get the free tea light sampler if you go to cordacandles.com backslash heck yes that will be linked in our show notes but you have to go to cordacandles.com backslash heck yes to get the free tea light sampler with orders over 35 dollars megan what is this topic why do we have an unmarried man in here talking <laughs> about motherhood what's I've going been asking on that question all day <laughs> uh, he's like why this topic um okay so it. here's the thing it's actually funny because a lot of people ask the same thing about like, like priests, popes, like what do they even have to say about motherhood and like being a woman or like, you know, the feminine genius, like, oh, that's ridiculous. They don't know the half of it. Um, but it's actually, I would challenge you to consider what they have to say and what they've learned, what they've read, because it's 
extremely beautiful what a lot of priests and popes have said about motherhood. And so I thought, thought I would bring Father Peyton on um, because I have spent so many spiritual directions with him <laughs> talking about these things because the transition into motherhood for me, especially the one to two, um, can be, feel very overwhelming, um, lonely, infuriating, exhausting, a lot of things that aren't good feelings and don't help you enjoy motherhood at all, nor do they help you be a good wife and mom if you stay stuck in them. So honestly, he was like, I would do did the blood draw. I did like the hormone test. I did like a life coach, whatever. And then I was like, I got to try spiritual direction. I, we joked a couple episodes back to that when it was really tough for me postpartum. I was like, okay, I'm taking all the kids with me to daily mass because I need the Eucharist every single day. And Cece was like, that feels like the last thing to do with two small children. And I was like, I don't care. I'm doing it. I don't care. Um, so then spiritual direction started in that same time because it felt like a little bit more manageable um, with small children and the things I've learned, the conversations we've had, the way I've been challenged. Um, I just want to bring that into this space for the podcast so that you guys who don't have a good spiritual director near you, who don't have a super faithful community near you um, can hopefully take something from this because yeah, as moms were bombarded with like, do this, don't do this. And like, it's okay to complain and have wine o'clock. And like, it's okay if your house is always a wreck. And it's okay to complain about your husband. And there's even parenting advice all over social media, but spiritual direction with Father Peyton and talking about what the church thinks about motherhood and where my brain should be focused and where my time should be focused was by far the most helpful um, and monumental in regards to like, enjoy finally enjoying motherhood and like, feeling free in it, at least. So let's start with what does the church say about motherhood and wives? Just like baseline, this <laughs> That's whole... That's like okay, <laughs> a great, great, great opening question. Yeah, we'll just start there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know, I know, sorry. Oh gosh, what does the church say about motherhood? You know, it's, it's, it's actually really interesting that the church proposes herself as a mother. Mm. You know, that's interesting. Like yeah. motherhood is the is the is the image that the church uses to present her relationship um to her children the people of god and so that's like that's telling right off the bat what the church thinks of motherhood is first of all it's an honorable title and and that would yeah. be maybe the first thing to say is the the church sees motherhood as a as a divine vocation it's a gift that women were given um, it's part of their femininity and what i would extend one of my favorite things one of my favorite ways to understand motherhood is in the context of the of the progression of of a woman okay i would propose and the church affirms that i think it was it could have been cardinal newman uh saint john henry newman it could have been ratzinger it could have been any of those guys i can't really remember my sources but they were talking about how um all women are born and begin as daughters and then they progress through daughterhood eventually into spousehood and then through spousehood into motherhood. And so what is motherhood? Motherhood is the fulfillment of the feminine genius. It is the, is the fulfillment of, wow. of the female life. Motherhood is what every woman is called to. Now I have to caveat that. I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I, would, I would argue in the same vein that all men are called to fatherhood. Right now there's, I, I would identify from a, there's a, there's an author that I got really close to. He's not like super famous in the public sphere, but he's kind of in the academic sphere for the masculine genius named Carter Griffin. He's a priest and 
um, has written some really cool books on priestly fatherhood and stuff. But one of the things he lays out is that there's like three levels of paternity. And I was looking earlier in Love and Responsibility and uh, uh, John Paul II kind of highlights these similar things. But there's three levels of paternity. And the first most obvious level is what we call like biological paternity and paternity being like the gender neutral term for just parenthood. Um, and the first level is biological, right? Like the first and most obvious sense of motherhood is just that you actually birth a child into the world. That's like, that's one way you are a mother, but it's also, I don't want to say the lowest form, but it's like the most basic form. Yeah. Right? Most it's obvious. obvious. Yeah. yeah. And I don't want to say low because it's not a, like there's beauty in that, but we've already my, started on a high note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But my point, but my point too is, um, biological motherhood isn't enough though and like y'all would all know that like just to have the baby mm -hmm. although it makes you technically a mother it doesn't really make you a mother and so right. what what we go to next would be what we call the natural level of motherhood and that would be um that would be the actual physiological and, and emotional caring for your child you know you have the child that's biological motherhood then you hold the child and nurse the child and take care of the child and clothe the child and wipe their butts and all that kind of stuff like that's natural motherhood and that continues as a mother i mean and then when they get older it's the it's the you know making sure they have stuff to eat and they're getting to school on time and right. it's all that classic just mundane mother things that you know moms get so busy with like all that stuff that's natural yeah. motherhood um and at this point like now you're starting to understand, oh, that's like the real life of a mother is natural motherhood, right? Mm -hmm. So you have biological, which is the beginning, but we can oh. all imagine circumstances or maybe we've all experienced circumstances in which a woman having a baby is the end of their motherhood. And maybe for no fault of their own or for whatever situation or just whatever, they may lose custody of their child and it just, it can get messy. Natural motherhood's that next level. And I want to make sure, I want to make important, the thing that's the thing that's interesting about natural motherhood, though, and natural fatherhood in the same vein, if there's any guys listening out there, but you can actually be a natural mother without being a biological mother. You can care for mm -hmm. children. Like, so this is, this is where for any of you who, um, anyone listening who has like adopted children, you know exactly what I mean. You may not mm -hmm. be their biological mother, but you are absolutely their mother. You know, and, yeah. and that's like, that's a real motherhood. It's not like a pretend motherhood, you right, know, and, and because if we, if we lean too much on the biological motherhood, that's what we get stuck with. If your mother dies yeah. tragically when you're young, that means you don't have a mother, but that's, that's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. We know that intuitively. So natural motherhood can exist even without biological motherhood. But the other thing though, is if you stop at natural motherhood, to be totally frank, um, the government can do that for your children. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the government can yeah. do all those things. They could, they can assign social workers. They could make sure your kids get to school. They can like, they can take care of your children. And so we also know that there, there's got to be something more than just this natural level. And what the church would propose is that supernatural motherhood is the highest form of motherhood. And it's the okay. fulfillment. That is the true fulfillment of like the feminine genius mm. and supernatural motherhood is the motherhood that draws from the principles of biological and natural motherhood but ultimately is the raising the birthing the caring and the nurturing not just for a human human body but for the whole right. human person including their soul 
And so a supernatural mother is, is, is a woman who cares for her children in a way that makes them holy and makes them saints. It's the passing down, not only of your genetics, not only of your family tradition, but it's the passing down even of your like spiritual interior life. Yeah. And that's something that John Paul II focuses on a lot in paternity is the importance of that supernatural level of parenthood to pass down in a special way the interior life as well. And we all know examples of maybe parents who really, okay, they had the child, they raised the child well, but total lack of any kind of supernatural parenting. Yeah. And I think we've all experienced too, I know I have in my life, we've all experienced both fathers and mothers on the supernatural level who maybe they didn't biologically have us maybe they didn't birth you know raise us but they definitely did teach us the interior life and that is a very short potential explanation for why we can call religious sisters mothers and why we can call priest fathers Mm. because if done well they they occupy that supernatural paternity in a really beautiful way Mm -hmm. even without having progressed through the lower forms wow i've never even heard that example before because i know a hang-up for a lot of non-catholic christians is you should call no one else father and it's like yeah we gotta <laughs> yeah, explain yeah, yeah. why we call priest fathers that's yeah. a very it also says thing. you should call no one teacher yeah i know there'd be there's a, multiple arguments there's clearly something there's a layer there's a layer going yeah. down there <laughs> yeah. i wrote actually i wrote like a whole 12 pages in one of my big papers in seminary just on that one passage really about what jesus is clearly saying well i tell people all the time it's like so you don't call your dad dad yeah and they're like well yeah and it's like okay no no no. it's no. like if no one is your father except for your what he what jesus is saying is that all fatherhood flows from god the fatherhood the god right. the father and so like even my fatherhood is merely a or participation in god the father right like that's that's what jesus is saying but yeah yeah that's a rabbit <laughs> you're like i digress <laughs> <laughs> yeah really um Okay, why does it seem then as if motherhood's under attack more than ever these days? Um, do is it a spiritual warfare thing? Because there's books that talk about it being spiritual warfare, and how Satan, you know, would love nothing more to bring about the ruin of the world through women, because that's where he started. But yeah, yeah, that's a that's a very interesting. Um, no, that's definitely true. I would totally affirm that. But I think it would also be a touch oversimplistic to just like I think we I think we have a tendency especially in kind of the more intentional young even like traditional sides of like Catholicism right now it's very mm. easy to kind of just throw all the blame on Satan you know be like oh Satan's clearly doing this it's like okay yes. yeah totally but like Satan does this in so many complicated ways that are also very human. Like we forget the fact that this isn't just a war between God and Satan, that God's going to totally win and has already won. But like we are also participators and cooperators in that as well. So yeah. I think, yeah, there's there's a, there's a demonic element, but I think there's also just a radically human element um, influenced influenced by the enemy because that's how sin happened, right? It was, it was the idea of Satan originally, but it was Eve and Adam who consented to that, that really made it a sin. You know what I mean? Like Satan didn't make make us fall. He tempted us and then we chose that. So I think that same pattern is playing out there. So to answer your question, um, I think motherhood is under attack 
more than ever today because the family is under attack more than ever today. The vocation in the domestic church of the family is truly like the target of, of just modern society more now than ever. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, one potential reason is, or what one pretty clear reason is that we are living in a society that is based on um, on the philosophical, political principle of liberalism, okay? Um, that's what this country was founded on, probably the first nation that I can think of that was founded strictly on a liberal society. Like we're getting away from monarchs and arbitrary rule and we're gonna rule ourselves, right? That was and by the way, like we... liberal, the way that father's talking about it yes. is different than the way our culture, like little L liberal conservative, <laughs> like liberalism is is a different context than like yes. politics, by the way. Side yeah, note. so today we use the word liberal to refer to progressive, but that word technically doesn't really belong to the progressives. That's kind of an unfair equation. Um, it's one of the many images that progressives have kind of robbed us from. But liberal, the word liberal literally comes from the Latin word liber, which means to free. Okay. okay so like when we talk about liberty, that's it's the same Latin word. We're talking about freedom, you know. Okay. Um, and so our country was founded on the principle of liberty, which is that's what you should be thinking when I say liberalism. Okay. So anyway, our country was founded on the idea that every man should be able to make his own decisions. Okay. And that if every man and woman were given the freedom, quote unquote, to choose their own life path, the founding fathers believed very heavily that we would choose to make our lives better. Right. And mm -hmm. so we need to get rid of like monarchy and arbitrary rule, which tells us how to live our life or forces us to live our life in a certain way so that um, because that like limits our real progress as a person and as a whatever, whatever. That was the founding principle of the U.S. And that sounds really great. But one of the naivetes, if I can be so bold to say, of the founding fathers is they assumed that if we gave everybody the freedom to choose whatever they want, that they would always choose their own advancement. And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in a sense, they're right. But the thing that they took for granted was virtue. They assumed that the free man would choose virtue. Yeah. And so what the church would offer as an alternative and would challenge actually the concept of freedom upon which our country was founded the church would say that freedom is not about the ability to of, the ability to choose between options, but freedom is much more about the power we have innately to choose what is good. And so you become more free as you choose what you were made for. And so the church could see, could foresee a situation in which you actually would not know of your own power what the right, like what the free thing to do is. Let me let me make this more clear. Um the founding fathers assumed that everybody is born free and that the government should protect that freedom and they would grow and to become even more free. The church, the church proposes that we are actually born slaves. Right. Every single one of us is born a slave of our desire, a slave of our concupiscence, a slave of um, a slave of sin and death. And we are actually set free by Christ. And then after we have been set free in baptism, our freedom is developed and, and cultivated. And I use the word cultivated really intentionally because that word is the same um, root word that we get the word culture from. Okay. Okay. So here's where I'm going with all this because it's it seems like a total tangent, but it's really important. Um, 
if you found a society that truly is is aiming to create as many options as possible and to free everybody up to make as free choices as possible, you have to get rid of innately, you have to get rid of any institution that would tell people how to live their lives. Any institution mm -hmm. that would come in and tell people how to live their lives has to be removed. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. why religion is collapsing in our society. Because religion is one of the biggest institutions that would tell you, hey, actually, you should probably live your life this way. And then an individualist modern America, an American, which is most people, they would say, no, I want to live my life this way. And religion is like, no, that's not a good idea. You actually should do this. And they're yeah. like, well, then heck with that. That's why I think the founding fathers on a certain level were like, there needs to be a separation of church and state, which is one mm -hmm. reason it's, it's more complicated right. than that. Another institution would be um, education. And think about it. Think about the whole like the the whole prevalence right now that's coming up of like valueless education. The idea yeah. is like mm -hmm. we're not going to push values or morals, and I'm like yeah. that is in and of itself a, an extremely dangerous value, and you and it doesn't exist. But what they're doing is they're promoting valueless education, and now you can't even trust any liberal arts institution yeah. at all now because it's anyway. And the whole reason is you can't tell people what to do. You're yeah. not allowed to tell people right. what to do. So the last thing, the last institution that is under attack by this idea is the family life. Well, I was going to say, that's where we get, we've kind of talked about gentle parenting before and the whole, like, just, just sit with them. Just like, let them don't, don't hold any hard boundaries. Don't discipline them for doing something wrong. Don't, you know, whatever. And it's like, this makes so much sense. Yeah. Okay. It's so, like, don't tell them right okay. and wrong. Let them figure oh, out their feelings. And the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Absolutely ridiculous. And the I church know. would stand so so hard against that. I know. Um, because here's the thing: you were born into sin. Right. Like we think because babies are adorable and so precious and they're so lovable, we and they're innocent. To they're innocent to an extent. Right. right. They still have original sin. They've inherited right. the death that Adam and Eve have won for them. Just remember right. that. But because they're innocent we assume that they're free. Yes. But that is, but think, think about this image. One of my favorite moral theologians, Surveyus Pinkares, he's a Dominican. He, he uses this image. He says, imagine if you're starting to learn the piano, as long as you have 10 fingers and you're relatively coordinated, you have the freedom to hit those keys in whatever way you desire to. So why then do we all know that a beginning pianist cannot get up there and just play a Chopin, you know, piece like perfectly? Like, yeah. well, I just can't. It's like, why? You have the physical ability to do yeah. it. It's like, because, and so when you start to learn piano, what do you have to do? There's a lot of rules. And your teacher will sit there and slap your wrist if they're not in the right <laughs> position and make sure you're sitting up straight and you have all the right posture and you're moving mm -hmm. your fingers in the right way. And like, and it's very strict. I think of even basketball. Like when you first start learning how to play basketball, it seems like total, um, it seems like total tyranny by your coach. You have to dribble the ball. You can't pick it up and dribble it again. Like all these yeah. rules and it gets frustrating because you keep bumping into these rules at all times. But the, what, yeah. what, we, what we know, though, is you have to, because once you internalize those rules and you play the, the game by the rules without mm -hmm. having to constantly think of the rules, then you've become a master. And now you're actually free to create yeah. within the boundaries of those rules. LeBron James does not have to think about dribbling the basketball. Right. He does it instinctually. <laughs> 
<laughs> he wouldn't be able to be good if he had to think about it, you know. And so right. all that to say, that's the same with the moral life. You were born a slave. You don't know the rules. You don't understand the complexities of moral situations. That's why you start with black and white principles, good and mm -hmm. bad. And you're very clear. Mm -hmm. And as you grow older, you start to realize there's a little more nuance to it sometimes. But, you, but so that's like gentle parenting, I think, seeks to yeah. treat children like adults. Yeah. And the problem is they're not. They're not because adults. Because they, they don't. Can't. Yeah, they don't even have the rule book yet. They don't have the <laughs> nuance to understand nuance and rules. Right. I think I, I really do. I'm a firm believer when you're educating children, you need to be exact and very clear in Although there's a danger in being too simplistic, right? Because the world is complicated. I think there's also a danger in raising kids to be too complicated. Yes. It's like, there's a reason the best children's movie of all time are very simple. There's no yeah. like bad guy who's also kind of a good guy. Like that is a total modern thing. And it's a seeking yeah. to erode the distinction between good and evil. Too. Yeah. We as adults know that everyone is a little good and everyone's a little bad. Right. But for children, it's important for them to understand clearly that there's a difference between good and bad and what right. that looks like. Anyway. Another thing I thought you made a really good point about is like no values is a value at the end of the day. Like no religion is a religion in a way. Um, yeah. Oh, it absolutely and, is. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a whole lifestyle. It's a whole way you choose to approach every decision. Um and back to your first question, Megan, is like, does it seem like motherhood's under attack more than ever these days? Um, and Father, how you said, like, I think more, you know, conservative Catholics like to use the devil as like a really big factor in a lot of the way their life goes. And I think a lot of people, what I've seen, especially in the more traditional movements in the church, People, I've, I've even be, been at fault like this, but people like to forget that they also have free will. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even if the devil's playing with their, playing with their life, but there's also free will still there. Yeah. It's one of, it's one of the only, if not the only part of the human person you actually cannot give to Satan mm. or at least that he cannot like possess. He can't ever control your will. Wow. Even when people say that, like, I've given my will to Satan, you actually always retain it because it's not yours to give away. It's given to you by God. It belongs to God. But you can now choose through your will to cooperate yeah. with the enemy. And that is a, that is virtually the same thing. But that's important because there's always a chance for you to choose differently. Right. right? So just because the enemy's doing something or just because the enemy's attacking you doesn't mean you have to, like, give in like you know what I mean like you can right. you can always choose and even if you have given in so many times in the past there's always a chance for redemption because your will still belongs to yourself yeah. and to the Lord and so anyway well speaking of spiritual warfare and Satan and Adam and Eve and the desert and Lent and all the things um we're gonna share about Hallow they have a three-month free trial for you guys, um, which is extremely generous and if you don't have Hallow and aren't using it especially during Lent right now I don't you might live under a rock. I don't know because they are the best and the number one prayer app. I literally just saw them announce that they were the number one app in all apps. Yeah. Number one app of all. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. And it's a Catholic prayer app. So they have a Lent prayer challenge uh, called Pray 40. He leadeth me, which will feature daily prayers, meditations on the powerful book. He leadeth me. 
Um, and the theme is surrender, how we can surrender everything we have in all of our circumstances and our own will to God. You can go to www.hallow.com backslash what in the dang heck to get your three month free trial today and check out Hallow at Hallow app, H-A-L-L-O-W-A-P-P on Instagram. All the links to everything are in our show notes as always. Okay, back to motherhood how much power and influence does a mom actually have? Because a lot of times it will feel like we talked about the mundane a little bit and it'll feel like we have close to no power influence on the world. I think because here's my hot take. I think women are brainwashed to an extent throughout their life and college and everything. And then when they get to motherhood, they feel totally lost because it feels like they don't have any power or influence or anything to offer the world. Um, because they're just trapped inside with children and it's just mundane, daily, monotonous, like taking care of children that are likely not going to say thank you for at least a year and are going to just, you know, rob you of your sleep and whatnot. So do we, do moms even have any power or influence? Obviously you and I have had these conversations and I've read books and I <laughs> I already know the answer, but I'm I'm asking you that for the general audience. What uh, for edify me? What yes. do you mean by power and influence? Are we are our actions are, are they contributing to anything, or are we just keeping baby, humans alive? You know, oh, like yeah, are we? Yeah, you know, yeah. like it kind of goes yeah. back to the different layers of motherhood. Um, and if you only think there's biological and natural motherhood and you've never heard of supernatural and you've never been called to that before then maybe you do think you're merely keeping humans alive yeah and you know what maybe motherhood feels that way a lot of times <laughs> just, you know, just trying to keep them alive keep them fed um yeah no i i think motherhood let's go back let's go back one question to kind of answer okay. this i think motherhood is under attack precisely because i think motherhood has all the power in a sense especially when you start talking about family and like fathers and mothers together united have 100 yeah. percent power and influence over the world yeah that's it i mean mothers and fathers have all the influence in the world Mike, this is, we're done no <laughs> totally they absolutely do because um and you may think it's like oh well it's just like one family or whatnot it's like yeah, but I mean, come on, we're American. So think about it. Like one family isn't just one family. And like if 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 it becomes a cultural precedent, that changes an entire world. And it doesn't take much. I mean, Jesus mm -hmm. only needed 12. Yeah. He only needed 12 bozos, you know, who <laughs> fishing boats in Galilee yeah. who were yeah. uneducated. And then within, I mean, within about 1500 years, he had conquered the entire world with Christianity. I mean, that's like, that's not nothing, you know? And right. so, yeah, they have tons of power. I was reflecting, I was actually praying today about what, what is a mother, you know, kind of go back to the first question to answer this as well. Yeah. And I was thinking I, the title I came up with is um, a mother is a bearer of incarnation. Now that seems like a super technical kind of lame title, maybe. But yeah, I was oh, like break it that. down like I'm three. Yeah, a bear. <laughs> yeah, for, for myself as well, a bearer of incarnation. So think about Mary. Mary, one of the, the Mary's oldest title, like in the theology, the church was um, the Theotokos. 
yeah the the in we say that means mother of god but really what that means is bearer of god the god bearer mm. she actually bore god in her womb that that was kind of that was a huge that was a huge debate early church um so if if all mothers are like are imitators of or kind of participants in mary's kind of um in mary's kind of image of motherhood then that means that every woman who bears a child, not only biologically, but even naturally and supernaturally, becomes what I'd call a bearer of incarnation. And incarnation literally is just when a spirit becomes enfleshed. And so human beings are called mm -hmm. incarnate spirits because we have a soul and we have a body. And those things are always together, always together, with the one exception of death, which is part of why death is so uncomfortable. Your soul has never existed without your body. A lot of people understand that like God has a bag of souls and that like when you get, you know, when your parents get pregnant, he just drops one of those souls. And it <laughs> your soul was created at the moment your body at was conception. Pregnant. Yeah. At conception. So that's interesting. Yeah. To know. Anyway, so a woman who bears a child in her womb, either literally or spiritually, who bears a child in her life is bearing incarnation, is bearing the the divine made human. Yeah. Okay. And so that means that her whole life is that. That's not just a birthing analogy, but your whole life is like that. Your whole life is this task of bringing the divine into the human and bringing the human up to the divine. Like that's the task of motherhood is literally to bear the grace of incarnation into your home, you know, through your love, through your womb, which is both a physical and a spiritual reality, you bear God into the world. Right when your when your little children get baptized, they become Christians, which is literally a Greek word for little Christ. Yeah. You know? But and and I think that I think the reason this is important is what power do do mothers have? Is especially when you're like getting caught in the mundane of life. That's yeah. like one of the most common things. We just had a women's conference here yeah. at the parish a couple weekends ago, and that was one of the big questions of all the moms. It's like. How do I like pray at mass with like all the little kids yeah. coming around and being so distracted? <laughs> like, what do I do? How do I find silence when mm -hmm. you, there is no silence and stuff like that? And what I keep going back to is remembering that motherhood is a vocation. It's a divine call um, and that you were a bearer of incarnation in a sense. What, what that means is that every little human moment the mm -hmm. changing the diapers, the putting dinner on the table, the cleaning the table, the like all those little moments that just seem so mundane and so utterly practical, those things get transformed in motherhood, especially in Christian motherhood, because your whole life was transformed in your membership in the body of Christ by baptism. And so if you were a baptized mother, you change diapers different. Now, it may look exactly the same. It may look exactly the same from the surface level, but because you are now united to Christ, it's influenced and encouraged by the grace of Christ. So what am I trying to say? It's like mothers have tons of influence because mothers, by the way they raise their children, affect the entire world. For better the, or worse. For yeah. better or for worse, exactly. You know, and there are definitely bad mothers. You know, that's definitely true as well. Um, and so that's what I would say. Like mothers have tons of power because they're responsible for raising the next generation they're responsible for educating the next era of future fathers and mothers you know yeah and that's that is a lot of influence and you may think that because you're you may only have one child and it's like well is this is my whole influence just in one child it's like no it's more than that because 
we also are part of a supernatural community and body that extends beyond the walls and limitations of the, the, the seen universe, right? So you may only have one child, but so did Mary. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> she like, so if one woman with one child can absolutely transform the world, you know, through yeah. her willingness, then like, how much can you, you know, just by your love? And, and so I think just the, the idea is those mundane moments are your profound and supernatural acts of love. If they are done with the heart of Christ, you know. Okay. So I kind of want to hone back in on the, what, when do you pray? When do you, how do you focus? How do you, whatever, because in and, and this whole, like, well, the mundane things are an act of prayer because we've talked about this before on the podcast as well, where sometimes I'll hear that and I'm like, okay, except that kind of feels like a cop-out, like, sure. yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, like it kind of feels like not enough still. Um, and then also you said before in spiritual direction, I might butcher this, so correct me if I like word it wrong, but you can still find, even if your house, your home isn't quiet, you can find silence within. Like if you, you know, like yeah. if you're doing the dishes or something, you gave the example of the dishes because you said even novice monks are put to do the dishes first because there's no greatness to be attained. It's just something the first to be job, done. <laughs> yeah. The first job they're typically given is something super mundane and, and yeah. something that actually can't really be done well because it's so easy and simple of a task. Yeah. That like, there's no way to really master it, you know, and yeah. the novices are given that task because they're being taught that your value is not in your creativity or successfulness, but in your faithfulness. Mm. Mm -hmm. The fact that you are faithful to the task is the most important thing to the Lord. Yeah. Not whether you're the best at it or not yeah. whether you're like super creative and come up with new ways to do it. Like that's not the first thing that delights yeah. the Lord. The thing that delights the Lord is that you showed up and you, you were faithful. You know, yeah. but anyway, so yeah, how does it, how does a busy mom with all her tasks, like find time for prayer? Um, I can see how the, like, I just pray as I do all these things is a cop out. And I think there's a lot of ways in which people can use it as that, right? Like they're like, well, I can kind of multitask. Yeah. Right. Or, right. Like I can <laughs> yeah. pray and kind of get some practical things done. At uh -huh, the same time. Do the laundry. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, and there's definitely, we have to be careful. It's, because this is all about relationship between you and the Lord. And so every single bit of advice can be taken to an extreme that yeah. then becomes unhelpful because it's not about what you do. It's about the heart, the love with which you do it. You know what I mean? Like that, that was all St. Teresa's big thing. It's like right. you do little things with great love. Okay. okay. So getting back to the practicals, there's a difference between quiet and silence. And I'm going to give Cardinal Seurat in his book, Power of Silence, credit for that distinction. I love it. He said, there's a difference between quiet and silence. Quiet is merely the absence of noise, which is probably impossible for young mothers to find. Yeah. Quiet's just not a thing. Silence is different. Silence is a positive presence, right? If all silence was, was an absence, then it would be like a negative reality. Like there's nothing there. Okay. But silence is actually the Lord's presence. You know, I think of... Um, I think of Elijah's, um, I think of Elijah's encounter with God in Second Kings when he's in the cave and he has to come out and wait for the Lord to come by or whatnot, and uh, um, and it says that like you know the storm and the the fire and the thunder and all like the earthquake, all this like stuff is raging on, but it was it wasn't until um, the sound of sheer silence came by. That's an interesting line. The sound of sheer silence. It's oftentimes translated as like a still small voice or whisper. 
but the Lord is in silence. And you can carry silence in your heart, even in a noisy world. But it's important to know where the interior noise is coming from. Now, okay. oftentimes the interior noise is influenced by exterior noise. You know, we're, we, we are body, soul composites. Those right. things are related. Um, so what I tell people is what are the easy, noisy things to get rid of? Unfortunately, TV. there's, yeah, TV is a great one. Music in the car. Swear. Those are great ones. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> social media. Very noisy. We're um, going to cut that part out. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, please cut, yeah, I was like, I'm going to say something about social media. Like, no. Podcasting for me, not like actually not podcasting, but like listening to podcasts for Lent. I completely unsubscribe to all of my non-religious podcasts and, and this is a religious one. Okay. So don't unsubscribe because <laughs> wait, wait, so, so wait, let me say that because I have, you know, I have my own little religious podcast, which is fun, but let me say though, there is sound that is conducive to silence. Okay. Gregorian chant. You've had this for conversation with For example, Gregor yeah. Gregorian chant, for example, like that is music that is conducive to silence interiorly, which is very different than like just any modern music, which is, which is literally designed to move you internally. It's meant yeah. to stir you into excitement, which can mm -hmm. also very quickly become anxiety. Like yeah. the, those feelings are very closely connected. Right. And so what I, my first, my first challenge for anybody is like, okay, you can't find time to pray. You can't, whatever, whatever. My first question is like, where's the noise in your life and there's yeah. things you can cut out you can't cut your kids out you know yeah. that's like <laughs> the lord gave them to you you know that would be bad but you can cut out tv you can cut out movies you can cut out that stuff you know um and you also, can also cut out the toxic friendship that that's like great. that yeah. it's a big one well there's emotional noise Right. So that's emotional noise. Yeah. And that's something I try to get, especially women to focus on because they're much more socially natured. Yeah. It's like, where, what are your friendships that always are gossip based? Golly. Yeah. Okay. So here's, here's my, you want here's my hot take. Do I'm, it. I'm curious what you Tell guys us. think. Um, I think it's utterly true, but I've been thinking about this a lot and I've been thinking about the difference between males and females and how they function. And I'm just going to drop it and then we can maybe unpack it. <laughs> Okay. I think gossip for females is the same. It, it cooperates with the female genius in exactly the same way that pornography does for males. Yep. Yep. I think yep. it's like, I think it's I, I like to the point where I think it's almost the same sin. Now it's, it's clearly not. There's like right. one, right. It, it, there are different sins and I get it, but think about it. Like males are, Males are physically oriented mm -hmm. and they desire physical intimacy. Yep. Okay. And, and pornography is a wildly perverted and unfulfilling attempt to fill that hole like in their hearts. Right. Yeah. So like you can, it's like drinking the salt water. You're, you're thirsty for that physical intimacy. You go to pornography. All it does is leave you more empty, more depressed, more addicted, whatever. Women though are much more emotionally, socially oriented for intimacy. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And again, there's exceptions to all this. So if anyone's right. like, oh, I don't really relate to that, that's fine. You know, um, but women have a tendency to be more socially, emotionally oriented. And gossip is a cheap and counterfeit sense of emotional connection. Yep. Because you are connected to this person you're gossiping with at the expense of a third person. Yep. 
and it makes you feel like you're on the inside of something, mm-hmm. but it's not real. Gossip cannot right. build real, real friendship, real relationship can't be built on gossip because it's sinful. It, it's automatically divisive, which is why all the gossip that makes you feel connected to somebody actually makes that friendship more insecure. Yep. Because think about it, like on a, on a certain level, they're that willing to gossip that quickly about this person for something that yeah. small. What does it take <laughs> for them to gossip about me when I do something slightly frustrating? You know, it just mm-hmm. it, it breaks yeah. down friendships in the same way that I think pornography breaks down relationships. So that's my hot take. I that's that's, that's so a good. good analogy. I mean, I was because I was like, I don't know, like, does it hurt another person the same way? But it's this weird directly indirectly thing where they both do. They both mm-hmm. do it. Exactly. Because like you, you could justify pornography, right? It's like, well, like, it's just me, like in my own little dark cave of sin. And no yeah. one else gets hurt. But you are. It's like, well, you're hurting also anyone else you're in relationship with because you're yeah you're destroying your capacity to relate in an in a like chaste way but i think i think gossip i, I really do i think they're the they, they're mirror images of each other masculine feminine pornography is just more gross and so it just yeah. has that like shame factor and i'm yeah. not trying to i'm not trying to tell women they should be like shameful but i do think like gossip is a very very dangerous sin yep. it's very it's very also dangerous. addicting it's addicting and it's yeah. very hard yeah. it's hard to like, you can't just be like, I'm not going to gossip anymore. It's like something you have to be very, like, you have to seriously bite your tongue you over and over it. again. You, you have, ha- yeah, you have to choose you, it multiple you may have times. To, you may have to make very uncomfortable interventions in relationships too. Totally. Yeah. I mean, you may have to like tell people, I don't want to talk about that. How yep. uncomfortable is that? Like right. you just brought something Now you're up. holier than thou. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's the accusation, right? And so that's a fascinating thing too, is that is a, that is a subconscious reactive pressure to get you to join them in it. So you have to resist yeah. the, oh, well, we always used to gossip. Look at you. Think you're getting better. It's like yeah. all of that is just trying to get you back into the mud. So mm-hmm. resist that temptation. There's a, there's yeah. one caveat I want, I do want to give though, because some people some people may be asking, like, what defines gossip? Like, mm. what exactly is gossip? Because okay. I don't think talking about people carte blanche is just always gossip, right? Like, that's because mm-hmm. there's also just certain times and in certain relationships where you really need to, like, maybe vent a frustration or process a problem going on mm-hmm. in your yep. life. And that includes a person. Totally. Um, and there's a couple things to note. Number one, if you don't have to say the name of the person or identify them, that that's a huge step because you're not actually talking about the person you're talking about the situation right mm-hmm. right and if you were asking someone's advice or you're venting a frustration who the person is actually is not what matters the frustration yeah. that's coming into the situation is really what matters that's the object but we oftentimes use the logical fallacy of ad hominem and we blame the frustration of the relationship on the person Mm -hmm. so then we talk about the person because that just feels better right um but the problem with that too is it also fails to acknowledge your own participation in that yeah that's a huge issue anyway the other thing would be the problem is when you go invent a frustration with a friend and then that friend doesn't encourage you to go address the situation Mm-hmm. So what you do is you vent your frustration, you feel better, but then the relationship over here is still damaged. Yep. That becomes problematic. That's what that's what kind of counselors call triangling. 
Mm. Is you're you're diverting your anxiety from a bad relationship or from a tense relationship into something else so that you don't have to directly cause yep. like address that. But the problem is mm. they're also triangling somewhere. And now you've spread that anxiety to two more people. And so then you actually just like cast the anxiety into the whole system of people of relationships. Oh, how nice. When all you yeah. had to do was just can fix your stuff, like confront it yeah. directly, mm -hmm. like solve it. And then you can heal. Yeah. Anyway, but that's a that's kind of I don't know how that's related to motherhood. We're kind of we're, <laughs> we're, kind, of in the, we're kind of deep in the into the feminine stuff. Yeah. yeah. We're kind of in the, <laughs> sorry, I'm a total nerd. We'll come we'll come back genius. out of the weeds. It's okay. We'll yeah, come back yeah. out of the weeds. Um, <laughs> first, I'm going to share about Heck Yes Collagen. Uh, they're our sponsor for this podcast, and they have they've been a sponsor before, and they're incredible. But they have a heck of a deal for you guys this time around. First off, collagen is the most abundant protein in your body, but when you reach like 18 to 20 years old, it stops producing naturally. And so a lot of people will start taking collagen supplements. And let me just tell you now, heck yes, collagen is a liquid collagen, which means your body takes it on better than it would like a capsule or something. And it is easily the most good tasting one that I've tried. Let me just say that. They're offering $25 off your first order, also free shipping, also a second $25 shopping credit to use within 30 days of your first order. So this promo is only available for new customers when you create an account and check out at heckyescollagen.com. Uh, can't speak enough great things about them. They're two Catholic ladies and they're incredible. They know their product inside and out. So feel free to check out their Instagram as well uh, to learn more about it and to uh, shop their links. Side note, like there's nothing I hate more than when you get a supplement and it's a powder and they're like, it tastes great in a smoothie. I'm and like, it's disgusting. I don't, <laughs> don't want to make a smoothie every morning. True. If I wanted like I, I don't want to do that. I want to take a tablespoon of something and be done with it. Like, I don't want to have to wash the blender. That's actually the last thing oh, I, I want to do. Oh, I hate washing blenders. <laughs> so true. So, That's funny. Anti-smoothie over here. Give me some liquid. <laughs> uh, smoothies are a lot of work. They are. You got to commit. Uh, anyway. It never tastes good at the end because of all the work you have to do. Yeah, because then like, you may just, you you may just be bad it. at making smoothies. I don't know. Like, I'm like, yeah. it's like when someone makes you a salad, it tastes way better than when you made yourself a salad. True. Oh, that's fair. That's, that's totally true. fair. Yeah, because you you're know? surprised. You don't really, you know, there's like a. Yeah. I, I never would have thought to put that in there. Yeah. yeah. Or even just a PB and J. Like, if if my husband would make me a PB and J, it would it taste, taste way better, better than if I made a PB and J myself. It's the extra tender love and care. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's maybe the fact it's like, that I didn't have to do it. <laughs> it's like going to a restaurant, the food's just better, but it's not. Yes. But, but it just tastes not. better because you didn't have to do it. And you know that you don't have to wash dishes after we're the fact. So, we're so lazy. We're so yeah. lazy. Yeah. Yep. I love it. <laughs> Look at us being virtuous friends. Uh, okay. Um, if there was one consistent problem you saw within mothers and wives throughout your time as a spiritual director, what would it be? Is it the prayer thing that we talked about? Would it be something sort of? Else that there's you a particular see? there's a particular angle of that prayer thing I want to highlight. Maybe we've touched on it, maybe not. But okay, I think most mothers write themselves off of holiness because they're too busy. It's like okay. it's like they assume because they're so busy that they a don't have time to pray, but b it's really a deeper like like you're saying like a lot of the questions you ask was touching on this. Um, okay. 
I'm just a mom. I can hardly even like get makeup on if, if at all. I mean, maybe that's like a miracle mm -hmm. and maybe it's too much work even when you do have time. Um, but it's like, I can't even like, it's hard. It's maybe a better analogy because I, I know women better than that, but it's like, maybe the better analogy is like, it's, it's hard for me to even just get like normal clothes on in the yeah. day. Like mm -hmm. it's just easier to wear or whatever. Um, much less like influence the world by making saintly children and praying holy hours right. and stuff like that. I mean, that just sounds like <laughs> such a dream situation. Yeah. But my thing is like going back, the way you do your little things and the way you fight for time with the Lord is your sanctity. You have to remember your motherhood was not your idea. Not first and foremost. That was God's mm -hmm. idea. God had True. the plan for you to be a mother long before you did. And before you ever fell in love with the idea, he already had it for you. So you can't say that your motherhood is somehow an obstacle to your sainthood mm -hmm. or that somehow like it's distracting yeah. from your real spiritual life. This happens a lot. This happens a lot with particularly young mothers who yep. come from a, like a really vibrant campus ministry and they've just, they're, they're praying holy hours every day and oh, like doing daily rosaries. No, seriously. Like, yeah. I, we have, we have well over a hundred women in our campus ministry right now that pray a holy hour every day and are like in Bible studies, leading Bible studies. Like I'm talking like hours and hours. That's a amazing. Week. It's, just, it's incredible. I, mean, I think our I've never gotten into that off. habit. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's so, amazing. So, but that's what they got, you know, and we, and yeah. we have a chapel with the tabernacle. It's open 24 seven. So yeah. they'll come, you know, they'll yeah. come at 9 PM and it's like in walking distance from yeah, their apartment. It's such like, a gift. Yeah. All you, of good that. luck. All of that good luck when you become exactly. a mom. <laughs> so when they become seniors, I always give them a talk on okay. what's next. And one of, the nice things of always, <laughs> one of the things I always say is like, you just have to go ahead and be ready to be disappointed in your next stage of the spiritual life. And what I mean by that is the Lord is going to continue to grow you, but it's not going to feel like growth because yeah. it's going to look very different. Like going to one daily mass a week may all of a sudden seem like the most Herculean task you can accomplish. Uh -huh. And these are people who are going to daily mass every day, holy hour. Yeah. I mean, like... And, and but you get a job and then or you get married or you move out somewhere where guess what the 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 only the only uh, the only daily mass within 30 minutes of where you live is like at 9 a.m which is like the yeah. worst time for a daily mass like who can right. go at 9 a.m you know um and so you just may not go to daily mass anymore it's like so mm -hmm. the question is am i becoming less holy because of this next stage in life because then a lot of people have fallen into the trap of i just need to go back to what it was like when i was in college and I, i'm like it doesn't exist, which means yeah. your holiness is not backwards. Holiness yeah. is not back into some like fantasy land that you used to occupy or you wished you occupied. Your holiness is right where you are because mm -hmm. that is where the Lord is. The Lord is not in the past and he's not in the future. He is right present. That's one of the distinctions of who the Lord is. The Lord is always present. So my, my challenge for mothers is like, I don't care what you're capable of. I don't care like what your schedule is allows or doesn't allow whatever yeah. you have you give that to the lord and if all you can manage is some thought, thought uh, prayerful thoughts while you're doing the dishes at night yeah that's what you got and give your give the lord everything and the next part of that would be too how do you do that practically speaking because a lot yeah. of times we think of like a lot of times what we think about is like oh it's um it's like a lot of times we think about we have to do the work of our day to then make space to then engage with God as if those are distinct things. That's me. And I, 
Yeah, well, and, <laughs> and, and I, will say this. I will say this. I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of mental prayer. And mental prayer really, like, you ha- you have to have time to sit and pray and reflect. I mean, and that's and that's really the vocation of the contemplative monks, but it, or the contemplative monks and sisters, but it's our all of our vocation to engage in that kind of mental reflective prayer. And so I do think we all need to practice that, but what that looks like just completely depends on our circumstances. When you're praying, what you're doing, and this is, maybe this is the best advice I can give about prayer. When you pray, even when you pray about something, how it's like, you know, internally to all the listeners, like raise your hand. Are you someone who has something that's really bothering you that you want to pray about? That's me. Yeah. Like I, I've got stuff that I want to pray about all the time. You've always got worries or things like, Lord, I really need you to do this, or I'm really yeah. worried about this. Or like, <laughs> okay. But the trap we fall into is we go to prayer and we do nothing but think about that thing over and over. And basically <laughs> what we do in prayer is we just brainstorm solutions in front of Jesus. <laughs> yep. So what, yep. what, what, what that is literally doing is you're going and sitting before Jesus and then setting up a mirror between you and him. And then you're just looking at yourself the whole time, but you're in front of him, but you're looking at yourself, put the okay. mirror down. When you have something to pray about, present it to the Lord and then don't think about it again. Imagine yourself going before the Lord and say, Lord, this, this is my anxiety. This is what I'm worried about. This is how I'm feeling about it. This is what's going on. This is, these are the questions I have. These are the answers I would like. These are the solutions I would really prefer. And then just set it at his feet. And then for the rest of your prayer, focus on the Lord. Totally zoned in on his face. What is he doing? What is he saying? How does he look? How does he love? What is his heart like? What is it like being in his presence? Let mm-hmm. the worry go away. Focus on him. So this is important for when we were talking about praying while you're doing the dishes and stuff. What you're doing is you're just doing the dishes as if Jesus is standing right there with you, doing them with you. And so all of a sudden, this task Uh, becomes an opportunity for me to be with the Lord. So when you invite him into that, it's not that you have to constantly be talking to him while you do it. Right. It's more like you were doing it in his presence. One of the greatest books about this particular principle, it's very short, and it's one of the... um, it's one of the masterworks of Catholic spirituality throughout the history of the church. And it's by Brother Lawrence, just kind of an unnamed monk in the Middle Ages, but it's called Bro- Brother Lawrence and it's called Practicing the Presence of God. And this was okay. his whole principle. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to prove anything. You don't have to come up with beautiful poems or lyrics about God, but just to do what you do, but to then mm-hmm. like in your mind, really bring the Lord into that space and invite him to just be there with you as you do that act of love. I yeah. mean, that's that's it. That's what you do. And then you'll become a saint. Got it. Perfect. <laughs> but I, I, Thank you. <laughs> but there's, there's also like some practical ways to also be reminded of that. Like by the sink, I think is one of the most overlooked way, areas to like put religious art and statues. Usually mm. there's a shelf like, and it looks over, usually sinks are right in front of a, a window. window. Um. But on that ledge, it is one of the best places because you're literally just, your hands are in water and you're just scrubbing, staring out the window. Either for me, I'm like, wow, I wish my neighbor wouldn't put all their cars right there so that the garbage truck could actually get my garbage. Or I could like look at the religious statues I have sitting on my ledge. Megan, you know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) 
um, and look there, you know, and be reminded of that. So by the sink just practically is one of the most underrated yeah. places to put religious art. Well, and I For think real. that's a really important thing too, is we are not just spirits. We're also bodily. And so to, to fill our space with sacred images helps elevate our mind and heart to the Lord more frequently. You know, now the images are not going to pray for you, right? Like, I mean, you have to engage in them, but they're useful. That's why the church has always used religious imagery, you know. Um, mm -hmm. There's, you know, there's, this is another kind of fun tip. Uh, there's a mom in my parish who I just really admire. She's a wonderful mother. Um, and she says that when she's doing the laundry for all of her kids, she's got like six kids. I'm trying to think. When she does the laundry for her kids, Whenever she's folding one of her kids' pieces of laundry, she just says a prayer for that kid. Mm. So it's like a little way, like she's ref she's reflecting on the love that she has for each of her kids as she folds like their clothes, you know? Yeah, just being mindful about yeah, it. just to be mindful. And that's, that's exactly what practicing the presence of God is, is to call to mind the Lord's presence in the, in the grace-filled nature of everything around you, you know? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, last last one to kind of sum it all up. If there was one thing you could tell mothers and wives, what would it be? Something that's like we could end with encouragement for them or just call them higher. I don't know. Do both. Or not. <laughs> <laughs> or not. Give up. I'd rather you not away. do that. <laughs> no, no, no. Just drop um, a bomb and leave. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Um, <clears throat> I... <sighs> There's so many things. It could be two. Yeah. Okay, I'll say I'll say this. I'll say two. I'll say two. I'll say two. Um, so I'm so verbose. I really apologize. I just like yeah. I, I think out loud, so that's not helpful. But the first thing I would say is look to Mary. Mary is the mother of mothers, and she is the perfect mother, and she is a perfect example of what it is to be a mother. Um, my favorite piece of art, and what I would argue by far is the most beautiful piece of art that's ever been rendered, is the Pieta by Michelangelo. Mm. And it is, if you don't know what the Pieta is, it's the moment in Mary's life when she is holding the dead body of her son, Jesus, in, in her arms. It's in St. Peter's Basilica. Yeah, Michelangelo was 25 when he carved this incredible piece mm -hmm. of work. Yeah, what are you doing, Cease? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay. Um, Wild. When he sculpted this image, and it's it's beautiful, and it's but but there's there's so much meaningfulness in there. Um, and it's Our Lady of Sorrows, right? Like it's it's the it's this most gruesome and sorrowful moment. Mary is holding the dead body of her son. One hand is holding him like close, and the other hand is out, like kind of holding him like this. What Mary is showing us is exactly what motherhood is about. You hold and love your children, but you also have the courage to let them go. Okay. One of the biggest mistakes mothers make, especially your kind of cliche like helicopter moms, is they're mm -hmm. terrified of their children experiencing risk. Yep. And especially if, if it's a mother who's married to a weak husband, who's not pushing the children to encounter risk or dangerous things. That's a yep. disaster. That is an anxiety ball waiting to blow off in your child's mm -hmm. life. It will True. not go well for them. They will be weak and frail. And so as a mother, remember that you were to nurture and love your children, but there you were also to present them to the world. 
Mm-hmm. They have to leave. They have to go confront dangerous things. They may have to confront dangerous things before they're ready. But you know what? None of us are ready for that. Not right. really. But what we do is we're raised and we're given rules and principles and concepts. And so that when we confront the chaos of the world, that we can somehow bring some kind of level of order and meaningfulness to that chaos. Mm. Um what I just said is like wildly Jordan Peterson. I just realized like a lot. No, of that, that was, but it's so good. I'm like, shoot, but we need to was... have you back for a part two and dive into No, that it more. was beautiful. <laughs> it was beautiful because the way that I always say it is like they either, the child needs a motherectomy or they need to, <laughs> I like that. they need to leave and cleave. So the, <laughs> this, this, this Pieta thing is like, way more yeah, profound it's no than... it's there well and, and you have to remember mary knew okay so go back to the wedding at cana the beginning of jesus's ministry when mary consented to jesus beginning his ministry mary knew he was going to die yeah mother like mothers rarely nowadays especially kind of the like overprotective kind of helicopter mom they'll they won't let their child potentially confront something even mildly dangerous or risky Mary knew full blown her son was going to be killed. Yeah. And she consented anyway because she knew that his going to die was was meaningful and it was part of his own completion of his task in his vocation. And so she didn't get in the way. That's yeah. important. And so when you mm-hmm. raise your children, you need to know that when you send your children out into the world, they they will be killed. Like it's going to hurt them. It's going to wound them. It's going, they're going to suffer. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to fall flat on their face. They're going to, but in your job as a mother is not to protect them from all danger. Your job as a mother is that when they do fall, you do what Mary did, which is she was there for him on his way. Yeah. She didn't get in the way. You know, she let him do what he had to do. Right. Yeah. Two things that came to mind with that. I know we're supposed to be wrapping up, but one, how prideful of you to assume that you can protect your kid from everything. Amen. And then two, you've said before, I think that like the number one roadblock you see to college students, like growing in their faith or becoming Catholic or whatnot is their parents. I think it's, it's growing. Well, okay. Yeah. The the number one transmitter of the faith are parents. Right. And one of the biggest roadblocks, I would say, to even growing in maturity is their parents. I can't tell you how many of my college students talk to their moms every single day. Mm-hmm. Seven days a week. That's a lot. I don't listen, know if I, I see her I, talk listen, to my mom I, that much unless I, I was under her roof. Yeah, it's like, I listen, I love my mother. Yeah. But that's just excessive. That's like, anyway. Um, and it's an <laughs> attachment thing. Anyway, the, se- the second thing I would say... Um, to mothers, and this is a word of encouragement. First of all, being a mother is one of the greatest vocations and tasks you can ever be called to. And it is truly the fulfillment of the feminine genius. Everything you're ordered towards is is drawing you and inviting you deeper into a potential motherhood one day if you aren't there yet. Um, but that motherhood is most perfectly a supernatural motherhood. Um, and motherhood is only as good as its daughterhood and its spousehood. You cannot be a mother without mm. daughterhood and spousehood. And so often, because, because motherhood is so internal and innate and natural yeah. to a female because of just how internal that whole process is. Biology. Yeah. yeah, just biologically so. It's so automatic. It's so obvious. Because of that fact, most women, even young girls growing up, they just want to be moms. 
Mm -hmm. But the problem is they have a huge wound in their daughterhood. Yeah. And that will absolutely prevent you from truly mastering the art of motherhood. Yeah. Well, and the spousalness that you mentioned. Yeah. You actually have to find someone too, just like you you don't just become a mother. Well, that, and then you can't just find them to become a mother and then expect to be a good mother without taking any notice of them. Just remember that it was, it was one of, it was one of the curses of the fall Hmm. that Eve's attention would be divided between her husband and her children. That's a consequence of the fall. Your relationship first and foremost is to your spouse. Right. And then your love and your relationship to your children flows from that. If right. it's been if it's been a long time since you've gone on a date with your husband, get a sitter. I don't care how young they are or who they are, go on a date. <laughs> and I promise you, I promise you, your children will survive. I know. Yeah, I was gonna like say that's another thing where you gotta detach. That's what part do of they the say? It's the best gift you can give your children is a good marriage is to love your husband. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the second most common time frame for divorce after like, I think it's the first five years is the most common, which is yeah. not, makes sense. I think the second most common is like 20 to 25 years in. When the kids leave? When the kids leave. So many couples, they spend all their time focusing on their kids that when their kids finally leave the house, they wake up and they look at each other and they're like, I don't even know you. Yep. That's terrifying. That's horrible. And sad and sad. Yeah. yeah, if, you, yeah. if you think divorce is devastating for young children, wait until you get divorced after your children are adults. And then they're like, what the heck was my whole life? Yeah. Like yeah. how long have you wanted to get divorced? Like, you know, it's yeah, just like they start a, questioning everything. And not to, you know, and not to shame or cast light on messy situations, but it's, yeah, like you got, you really got to work. And daughterhood happens in your relationship with your heavenly father. Right. Yeah. Spousehood happens in your relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Spiritually speaking. And then your motherhood happens with your relationship with your children. But those things like those progress, they build off each other as well. Mm-hmm. So just yeah. to remember that, like if it's been a long time since you've been on a retreat and you've gone and just prayed and yeah. just really spent time thinking about Jesus, reflecting on Jesus, like tell your husband to buck up and buy you some time. You know what I mean? Like yeah. maybe he needs to come step in and just give you yep. that. Cause it, even if it's, just a few hours or something, just go, go retreat, go spend time with the Lord, you know? Totally. Anyway. Wow. This was so good. Thank you so much. Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I hope it was helpful. All the, no, yeah, it was. all the random thoughts kind of, but the ramblings are good. If people didn't want ramblings, they would just read a book and they wouldn't be on this podcast specifically. They would. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, And if you love my ramblings, you can just come listen to my podcast or whatnot. True. What is your podcast? Okay. Yeah, Yeah. So my podcast is called epiphany. Um, and it's literally just, a, it's, I interview just a bunch of random people. We have conversations about the faith, about particular doctrines of the faith, but it's not, I don't seek it as like a, I don't know. It's like part learning, but really my dream is to hope that people who listen to the podcast can not only know what the church believes, but also start to think with the mind of the church. Mm. Cause I, you know, the word metanoia is a Greek word that Jesus uses when he says, repent and believe in the gospel. He says, repent. That repent word is metanoia. And it's more than just like, it's basically like change your mind, like think differently. Everything, like the way you think needs to be informed by the the church. And so my hope with the Epiphany podcast is that people will kind of learn that. So where can we we find it? Apple? Apple, Apple, Spotify. Okay, cool. We'll link it in the show notes. I'll make sure. Oh, to know. they're very generous. You don't have to do that. And again, I'm really my target audience are my students and my parishioners, but I'm sure anybody could 
been enjoy. I've been very surprised oh, yeah. at kind of how many people have just really, they've just enjoyed like, and it's, and again, it's just something to listen to that isn't noise. You know, yeah. It just kind of elevates your mind or whatever. But anyway. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much, Father. We are like, everyone's going to love this. I already know. Ladies, please call in with your thoughts, comments, questions. No concerns, though, because we don't, we're not going to, we're not going to send those to him. So <laughs> just leave those at the door. Uh, but any thoughts, comments, we would love to hear what you think. You can call in at the hotline 312 775 2615, and we will see you next week. Thank you, Father. Bye, guys. Thanks a ton for listening to the What in the Dang Heck podcast. We'd love to hear your What in the Dang Heck moments. So call our hotline at 312-775-2615. And don't forget to subscribe, leave a rate and review, share with your best friend, and might as well follow us on Instagram while you're at it.